going to read a small passage this morning, and it's out of Matthew 7, 12 through 20, and it is the words of Jesus. So whatever you do, wish that others would do to you. Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You well recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. If you would just bow your heads with me and I'll open us kind this morning in prayer. Dear Lord, I, um, my heart this morning is really thankful. I'm sure like many, it is very um, encouraging to see your church uh, in person this morning. I just pray for our church. I pray for our community. I pray for our city, Lord. Uh, I pray for all the things that seem to be going on right now. May our hearts um, just be guided by you, Lord. May we bear the fruit that is recognized as good. Lord, encourage us during this season of change. Lord, encourage us during the season of uncertainty. Um, and one, there's only one thing that is certain, and that is you, Lord. May we all just rest our peace and security in you. In your name, amen. All right, thank you, Trista. Hey, this is a live audience, so let's give her a round of applause. All right. <laughs> Trista's the best. Yeah, she is. That's right, Theodore. <laughs> yeah, bias. Uh, is she your mom, Theodore? Is she your mom? Yes, she is your mom. Oh, man. Well, we love her, too. Not as much as you, but we love her. So thanks, Trista, for that. This is, a, this is exciting to be here live in person with you all. And, and also, if you're watching online, we just want to say we love you and we miss you and look forward to seeing you soon as well. We know not everybody is... Uh, ready for this step, but one of the things as a church that we're committed to is if we feel like um, there's a safe way for us to gather as the people of God, we think there's immense value in that. Uh, we think for some of us it's something that we need. Maybe you feel like you're dying on the vine a little bit, and this is what you needed. I hope um, for those that are able to be here that this is uplifting to your soul, that it stirs your affections for Jesus, and that you can take whatever, whatever God gives you, however he fills you up in this time, and even bring that back to others in the body who aren't able for health reasons to be here with us today. So use this. God never fills us up just for ourselves. He always fills us up so that we might pour ourselves out as an offering to others. So uh, it's so good to have you here. We are like everyone in the world. We have no idea what we're doing, and uh, we have no idea what the right thing to do is. And so moment by moment, we lean in to the Lord and ask him. Uh, it was about nine o'clock and it's raining. And we were like, what are we doing? 
and we decided, you know what, even if this is just a test run to see if something in a parking lot can work and it pours on us, then at least we'll know. And so we just leaned into that, and um, we've been crazy for five and a half years planting this church. Terrible business idea to start a church in Seattle, but we did it anyhow, and so we just decided we'll do it this morning, and, and sure enough, uh, God has allowed us to meet and gather. So anyhow, just live your life that way, just maybe taking a risk and being willing to fall flat, and that's okay, that's okay. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you open with me to Second Peter? By the way, my name is Dave. Did I say that? I'm one of the pastors at Sedaris. If you're new with us, you can go onto our website and fill out a connect card. Uh, we haven't passed anything out today just to minimize the passing of germs. And so go online to uh, Sedaris Church slash connect. Uh, I think that's what it is, or Slack clipboard, and you'll find a connect card there. You can also just send an email to david at sedarischurch.com, and uh, we'll get, get you information and get you involved in our community. Um, but Second Peter is the book that we are walking through. And what's funny about this is that, you know, when I was thinking about preaching uh, for the first time in a long time in front of uh, real people instead of staring into a camera, when I was thinking about doing it outside where the city might, might listen in, where people getting hamburgers might hear, I thought to myself, I want to preach a message of good news. I want to preach a good news message, okay? And um, so that's going on in my mind. And then the other conviction that we have as a church is to preach through books of the Bible because we believe that the Word of God uh, speaks to us. That's where we begin when we try to find truth and wisdom. We begin with the words of God. We believe the Bible is his revelation to us and that uh, these words never return void. They always do something. And so these two things, and you'll see the passage that we're looking at today. Trista read uh, the words of Jesus uh, because when you hear the words of Peter, they're going to feel really harsh. And you're going to wonder, like, how is that good news? Why did, why did Dave choose to, to pick this verse to preach on when we were public and outside and back together again? How is this celebration? And God, as he always does, as I began to, to dig into the word, I realized that these words of Peter are actually very good news. So I hope to explain that to you today. Because what you're going to see Peter talking about, he's written this, this letter, which we call the, the second Peter, or the second letter that he's written to this group of churches in Asia Minor back in about 60 AD. Um, what he's writing about is this group of false teachers that had come into the community and had began to change um, maybe some of the message, some of, some of the truths that the church had taught, but also they were living a life that was unvirtuous, a life that was contrary to the gospel, a life that was contrary to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what Trista read from. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us what it means to, to live a godly life. And these teachers were not living a godly life. And so Peter is going to talk, and it's going to seem really harsh, and he's going to bring up all the times in which God has brought destruction upon the people who do not follow his way, who do not seek righteousness and justice. And if you do not, Peter is saying, God has a very clear reaction to ungodliness. And you're going to wonder, why, did we, why are we talking about this today on a day of celebration? And I hope to show you that as we go. Here's why. I'm going to kind of tell you up front, okay, why for me this is, this is actually good news. Uh-oh, we're going to have a wind problem. We always do. We always have a wind problem with the outdoor service, so let's see. 
how in the world can discussion about God's judgment, which Peter says is coming upon these false teachers, how can that be good news? Well, if, unless somehow you have no internet, no TV, no radio, uh, and, and you've stayed in your house for the last four months, unless that's true of you, you know that our world is thinking a lot these days about justice, and they're longing for justice. I know, I know all of you are probably longing for justice and equity. And you're asking yourself, what, is, what does that mean? What is justice? And, and I thought this week about uh, the ancient uh, lady of justice who has the two scales, right? Have you seen this statue? It's all, it's all over the ancient world. Uh, lady justice, uh, has, there's been... Um, archaeologists have found things in ancient Egyptian culture and Greek culture and Roman culture that talk about Lady Justice. This, uh, pick, just picture with me Lady Justice holding the scales. And what does she have in her, in, in her left or her right hand is a sword as well. And it's just fascinating to me that every human heart, every human heart longs for justice. And, and every human heart that's ever existed longs for justice and equity. And it's fascinating as a Christian, I believe the reason for that is that there's a God who created, and he is a God of justice, and his character and nature is justice. And he says that he created man and woman, all of us, every single human being in his image. Each and every human being that's ever existed was created in the image of God, and God is a God of justice. And so then it would make sense that our hearts long for justice and equity and fairness, because we are created in the image of this God whose heart for justice. And so when, regardless of if you're a Christian or not, or regardless of if you believe that you're creating the God in the image of a God like this, when you see miscarriages of injustice, you cannot help but be affected. You cannot help but desire something different. Now, if you just look up uh, miscarriage in, in the dictionary, um, when it's king of justice, it's, it's, it refers to a corrupt or incompetent management of justice. So when we see corrupt or incompetent management of justice in our land, of course, our hearts cry out. I also thought about the other use of the word miscarriage. When a baby doesn't make it to full term, and full life. And many of us have experienced that, myself and my wife included. And I, and I thought about justice. This, this seed that we have in our heart, this longing for justice, when it doesn't come to life as it should, it brings tears to our eyes. We know that something's not right. And we have to decide what we will do. Who will we cry out to? As Christians, we cry out to a God who can bring things back to life. Things that have died that can be resurrected. That's what we do. And so, whether or not you believe in this God brings things back to life, when you experience a miscarriage of justice, and we're, we're feeling that right now, where our eyes are being opened to some of those miscarriages in history, in our own country, we have to ask ourselves, can we, the people, bring it back to life? Can we bring the restoration that we desire? You know, in the last month I've watched three different documentaries. I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, I watched the th uh, 13th, which is about the 13th Amendment, the abolition of slavery. 
and the injustice that has been experienced in this country by those who were brought over to, to this country in chattel slavery. And I can't help but watch this and my heart cry out for justice. Then I watched a documentary about Anne Frank reliving the horrors of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, and my heart cries out, and I don't know what to do, and I'm overwhelmed. How in the world can we bring restoration for that kind of injustice? And then I watched a documentary called Filthy Rich about a man named Jeffrey Epstein who systematically created a scheme to sexually abuse over 100 women. And my heart cries out, I don't know what to do. And I feel like that's what our country is going through. When we see injustice, we don't know what to do. When we see evil personified, we don't know what to do. We know that something is not right and something needs to fix this and the scales need to be balanced. But what could possibly sit on the other side of the scale for the Holocaust? For a man like Jeffrey Epstein, who took his life, sorry to ruin this for you, but you don't ruin a terrible story, okay? Took his life two days after being in jail so he didn't have to stand in front of his accusers. And then he transferred all of his wealth, he's a billionaire, into his brother's name so that it would be harder for those women to get retribution. What could possibly balance the scales for a man like that? And my heart aches, and I, I feel like, in part, this is what's going on in our country right now, is we're looking at the injustice, and we just, we so want to balance the scales. But we don't know how to do it. In fact, when we get really honest, the prospects of ever being able to find something as heavy as the evil that we see and experience and is being revealed to us, we actually begin to get depressed. And we wonder, will justice ever be a part of our story? And here's where the good news of what Peter has to say in chapter 2 of his letter comes in. When Peter sees these false teachers who are living evil lives, lives that are rooted in greed and exploitation of the people of God, and they're using their platform for their own personal gain and licentious living, Peter says, don't worry. God is the God of justice. And for me, as I've thought about that this week, Thinking about this God who has time and time again said, not in your time, but in my time, I will balance the scales of justice. No one gets away with anything in my world. The justice always comes to an end in me. And Jesus Christ is coming again. And he will bring justice. And that's actually one of the things the false teachers were preaching against. They said, where is this Jesus? Things have gone along from the beginning of time. He's not coming back again like Peter says and the apostles said. He's not coming back. He won't judge. So live as you will. And Peter says, no. So let's look at this text together and look at what Peter says. To me, this is very good news. It's a part of the gospel that I don't often think about or talk about but it's a part that I must remember. It's good news. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
Peter says this, but false prophets also arose among the people. Now he's talking about in the Old Testament. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, he's talking about Jesus, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You see that same word, destruction, twice. The word here in the Greek, apoleai, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7 that Trista read. It's the same word. This destruction that they are bringing into the community by their false teaching, right? The injustice of their false teaching. What does Peter say will happen? Use the same word on purpose. The same destruction they bring, they will experience. You see the balancing of the scales? There is nothing that you do in this life that does not need to be accounted for. Peter is making that clear. Their destructive talk will lead to their destruction. Masterful use of the language here to help us understand what justice means. Look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction, that same word again, is not asleep. Here's what Peter's trying to point out. These guys seem to be thriving. They seem to have the power in the community. They seem to have people coming to them. They were exploiting them. They were greedy. They were living these lives of sensuality. Uh, Most scholars think they were sleeping around within the congregation. And they were using their power to do that. And Peter says it might look like they're thriving right now. But the judgment of God, the condemnation, the Greek word krima, where we get crime, their judgment, their sentence, their penalty, that's what that word means. It is not idle. It is not asleep, he says. It may seem like it's asleep, but, but trust me, Peter says, their judgment is coming. It might not come in the timing that we would like, but it is imminent. That's what that word swiftly means. It's imminent. It's coming. There's, there's no getting away from it. They can't get out of this. God sees them, and he sees their deeds. And then in case you don't believe this, in case you don't believe that this is the kind of God that you worship and serve, Peter goes on to a long list of times in which God has judged. Read it with me, starting in verse 4. For if, meaning like, if you don't believe me, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them as an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, the Bible says here, directly distressed by their sensual conduct of the wicked, for, and then he goes into this parenthetical comment, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, tormenting, uh, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now think, just pause for a sec. Think about what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, when you feel, when your heart is tormented, 
When you feel like injustice that is being revealed to you and uncovered by you. When I watch these three documentaries and I begin to think of the horrors of our world, my heart is being tormented by the lawless deeds that I see and I hear about. That's nothing new. Righteous Lot, Peter says, went through that. But the Lord rescued Lot. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from these trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Peter's saying there's no escaping this. God might wait. Jesus might wait to come back, but people are still under that judgment. There's no escaping it. And then he says, verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of deviling passion and despise authority. That is that they despise the lordship of Jesus Christ, who Peter said earlier, bought them with a price. Jump down. Jump down to uh, the end of verse 12. It says this. They are ignorant, and they also will be destroyed in their destruction. When you see a word like this in the Bible repeated over and over and over again, it's important to look up that word. Their destruction, meaning the the judgment of God upon them. They will be destroyed. Suffering wrong, verse 13, as the wage for their wrongdoing. Jump down down to verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Think back to what Trista read in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, There is a narrow way that leads to life, and there is a broad way that leads to destruction. You see? Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Peter walked with Peter knew what Jesus said about the coming judgment. He said, They walk the way of Balaam. We don't have time to preach on that this morning. We will be back in this text, by the way, next week. There's just too much to get to. They loved gain from wrongdoing, the Bible says here. And look at this, verse 17. They are, these teachers, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. If you read this in the RSV, it says, the deepest darkness in the NIV, it says, blackest darkness. In the message translation, translation, it says, they are headed for a black hole in hell. Now listen. Lady Justice stands there, and she stands there with the scales of justice. There is a time for the balancing out of all the right and the wrong. But she also has her sword. And Lady Justice will bring punishment. Well, she won't. Jesus will. But everybody understands that. Everybody that's ever lived. That there's an accounting for justice, but then there's also a punishment. And Peter makes that very clear. That these people who he sees dishonoring the Lord, leading lives of selfishness and greed, who are thinking only of themselves, they will not escape from the ultimate justice of God. That's good news. For me, that's good news. I hope for you that that maybe sits with your soul better than the idea of somehow we have to balance the scales on our own. Now, having said that, here's the other truth that the Bible makes very clear. 
It's not just the vilest human beings that sit underneath this punishment and judgment of God. The Bible makes it very clear that each and every one of us are vile. Each and every one of us turn up short when it comes to righteousness. Each and every one of us sits under that condemnation of a pure and holy God who cannot look past. Maybe they're small compared to some of these people, small compared to some of these things, but compared to God's holiness, they are mighty deeds of unrighteousness and they must be balanced out. That's what the Bible teaches. The scales of justice demand massive penalty for you and for me as well. We are selfish. We have prejudice. We are greedy and corrupt and sensual. We sit under the demands of justice. And that's not so good news. Until we hear about the cross of Christ... And the cross of Christ, that God took on flesh, lived the life, the perfect life that we could not live and none of us ever lives, and then he chose to go to a death, a death that we should have died to pay the penalty for our injustice, or our injustice and unrighteousness that we should have paid. He sat there and he took upon himself the full punishment to balance the scales of justice. The Bible says... That he did that. History tells us that Jesus did that. He bled and he died. And then on the third day, he rose to a new life. That each and every one who trusts in him can live as well. And that because of that cross, that same punishment that is poured out on the ungodly for their vile and wicked ways was poured out for those that trust in Jesus on the body of God in the flesh. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in the end, there's only two kinds of people. Two kinds of people in the world. Those who take the penalty and destruction needed to balance justice's scales on themselves, or those who allow the penalty and destruction needed to balance the scales to fall on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross 2,000 years ago. There's There's no third kind. That's actually the good news. There's no third kind of person. There's no person that gets away with this. There's no person who gets to escape and just happens to get to live the life of selfishness that they want. Nobody. There's only two kinds. Well, you say, Dave, it seems like this scheme, this two-way scheme, turns out pretty well for Christians. They seem to get away with it. And the answer is no. That's actually Peter's whole point. He's saying, you cannot, and this is what the false teachers were doing, you cannot say, Jesus, I accept that you took the injustice, or you, you made justice for my injustice on the cross, and then refuse to give Jesus your whole life. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying that there's only two kinds of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. You don't get to take the sacrifice of Christ and then not bear good fruit. Peter stands up and says, no way. If you accept Jesus' blood for your sin and unrighteousness and your debt against justice, if you accept it, then you have to give him your full life. Every aspect, every breath, 
you are now obedient to the one that bought you, to the master. That's what the Bible teaches. There's no third way. And these false teachers were claiming a third way. For me, as I've thought about this this week, I needed to hear this. I needed to be reminded that there is no third way. I needed to be reminded for the people that don't claim Jesus, but seem to live as a law unto themselves, that they do not escape justice. I needed to hear it for myself. That as a Christian, I cannot claim the justice of the cross, the balancing of the scales provided by Jesus, and then not give him my whole life. Every breath, every thought becomes captive to him. Every decision I run by my Lord and Master. This is good news, not easy news. To talk about justice and judgment is not easy, but it's good. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches, that justice will be served. I think it's the only kind of news, to be honest, about justice that truly sits well with my soul. I don't think any other definition of justice sits well with my soul, no matter how far we might get. When I think of men who traded human beings against their will and carried them across the Atlantic Ocean, when I think of slave owners who used other human beings to gain money and power for themselves, when I think of pastors who twisted the words of Jesus Christ in order to allow that to happen, no other words of justice feel well with my soul. When I think of men and women in Germany during the rule and reign of the Nazis, when I think of concentration camp officers, when I think of pastors in Germany who condoned this kind of behavior and turned their eye, nothing, nothing sits well with my soul except for this definition of justice. When I think of Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and the list goes on and on and I think about the way that they use their power against the dignity of humanity, I cannot think of another way to balance the scales that sits well with my soul. So I say it again, this is not easy news, but it's good news. And I needed it this week, maybe you did too. Maybe you needed to remember that this is a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here are my takeaways. Do not water down the gospel of Jesus Christ and take away the judgment of God upon the wicked and ungodly. It is the only thing that will make right the injustice that we feel and yearn for. Don't water it down. It will not satisfy your soul or any soul that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus took on, on himself was not just an example of, of brotherly love. He took upon the weight of sin for all those who turn and trust in him. Don't water it down. And then second, as you try to think, and we're all thinking now about how do we participate in the justice of God in the world now, remember that God is the one who makes 
injustice just, but you have an opportunity to create and cultivate justice moving forward. So you must spend your life not making retribution to balance the scales of the past, but by building a future that is just, a future that looks a lot more like the kingdom of God that Jesus said, I came to bring. So your job is to look forward and bring justice where you can and fight against injustice and call it out and remember that only Jesus can create the balance. So you teach truth. We, you, you, you write just laws. You lead others on the path of righteousness. You bear good fruit by good deeds and by love. You call out injustice. You don't support ideas, policies, agendas, businesses, politicians, celebrities that are founded in injustice. And then you work so hard to create the world that you know is in accordance with God's justice and equity and righteousness and love. And when we fall short of that as a nation, as a world, as a church, as a family, we mourn and we lament and we call it out. And we trust that God will make it right in the end. Jesus said this, The road is hard, And the gate is narrow that leads to life and life everlasting. It's worth finding and following that hard road. Because at the end of that road, you'll find the justice that your heart longs for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O God of great mercy, the holy, righteous, merciful one, We know not why you look down on our injustice, our inequity, our selfishness, our greed, our inability to be like you as you created us to be. We know not why you long suffer with us, why you haven't given up on us, why you sent your son into the world to die for us, why you continue to send your spirit to wicked people who choose time and time again to go our own way. We know not why. We simply say thank you for seeing something in yourself that wants to continue with us. No, not one of us is good. No, not one. Apart from being connected to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray now these last two songs that you might connect us by your spirit to your son in a powerful way so that we are reminded of who we are, that we are children of God, that we are part of the body of Christ living in Seattle, here to proclaim your glories, to draw people to your goodness, mercy, and grace so that they might find the only thing that satisfies their soul when it comes to justice that they might hear of the cross, repent of sin, turn from their wicked ways, and follow on the hard and narrow road that leads to life. God, that is our hope as a church, that we might just help some find that way. Help us to be vehicles of reconciliation and justice and righteousness in the land. Help us, God. We need your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.